It's like an epic beginning, which, whew, which is good. We, we are starting an epic sermon series this morning. For four weeks, we're going to be talking about one of the most famous human beings in all of human history. And I'm not going to pretend like you don't know who it is because it's on big letters behind me. We're talking about David, sometimes known as King David. And David is truly one of the most important people in history, one of the most famous people in history. Uh, in the Bible, he is the second most mentioned person in the Bible. Do you know who the first most mentioned person in the Bible is? It's Jesus, yeah, your Sunday school answer. But if you're number two and Jesus is number one, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> David is a, just an unbelievable Renaissance man. He is known as an absolutely fierce warrior. He was a military leader before he became king, and actually they made up a song about him, and the song was that Saul, who was the king at the time, that Saul had killed thousands of men, and David had killed tens of thousands of men. And this guy was just a crazy warrior. When he was a kid, he actually killed a bear and a lion, okay? Now, in addition to being this unbelievable warrior, he was also a poet, a songwriter, and a musician. It says in the Bible he played an instrument called a lyre, which is like a mini harp. All right, I don't know how many warriors you know who play mini harps, but that's who David was. The longest book in the Bible is a book called Psalms, and it's a collection of his poems and songs. I mean, this is just who this guy was. Fierce wire, poet, songwriter. He also was a really nice guy and a good friend. One of the most beautiful stories in the Bible is about David and a friend of his named Jonathan and their relationship and how good of kind of buddies they were and friends they were. And if that wasn't enough, multiple times in the Bible, it actually says he's good looking. <laughs> so I, I gotta be honest, as I was thinking about talking about David, I got a little intimidated. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm you know, not really a musician. In fact, you don't want me anywhere near a musical instrument. Uh, I can barely change a tire on my own car. Never killed a bear or a human, maybe that's good, but. And I was like, man, this is David. Like, I, how can I talk about David? And then the good news is, as I began to study who David was, I realized that my impression of why David is one of the most famous people in history might be wrong. And not only that, kind of the way God sees David and actually God sees us is often different than we think. So this morning, I want to look at a couple stories of David's life. And we got to run through these stories quickly. In fact, I don't have time to read all the verses. And so I'm going to encourage you, when you get home, dust off your Bible, open it up to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and start reading. And in fact, we have a resource center out in the Welcome Center, and we have a study guide for 1 and 2 Samuel. If you're looking to study this more on your own, which you should, we have to jump over some good stuff because we don't have time to look at everything. I would say stop by the Resource Center, pick up a study guide, study some of 1 and 2 Samuel on your own. But we're gonna kind of breeze through, kind of go through a couple stories this morning to look at kind of who David was and why he was who he was. So we're gonna start at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse one says this. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? since I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about this, he will kill him. So, doesn't mention David yet, so let me introduce you to some of these characters. 
All right, the first person it mentions there is someone called the Lord. That's God. He created the whole world. You might have known that one, all right? So that's the first one. Second person mentioned is somebody named Samuel. Now, Samuel was the high priest of all kind of the, the nation of Israel, or think of it like a, as a country of Israel. He is the spiritual leader. He's also really well-known. Everyone would know who Samuel, the high priest, was. If he went somewhere, people knew about this. People kind of, he was a big deal. Kind of the best way for us to think about it now is maybe to think about the Pope. If you think about the Pope, if he goes somewhere, it's all over the news, people know about it, he's kind of a big deal, people know who he is, all right? So think of that when you think of Samuel. So there's, there's Samuel in this story, and Samuel is told to go to Jesse's house and kind of anoint the new king. Now, we gotta kind of explain a little bit about why that is. So if you go back a few years, this nation of Israel, this people that David actually comes from, uh, they were getting beat up by some of their neighbors. They were fighting them and they were winning. And so the nation of Israel says, hey, we need a king. A king will help us actually put an army together and fight against these guys that are trying to attack us. And so they decide to pick a king. And they pick a king, they pick this guy named Saul. He's mentioned in here. Saul, is they pick him because he was the tallest guy. It said he was a head taller than everyone else. All right, now I like tall guys, but unfortunately, Saul was not a good tall guy, all right? So they pick Saul to be king. He turns out not to be a very good king. So then Samuel is upset. God's not happy. The people of Israel aren't happy. And so God says to Samuel, all right, why don't you go pick a new king? Go pick a new king. Go to Jesse's house. One of his sons will be king. The problem Samuel has with this is Samuel says, well, if I do that, everyone's going to know. I'm, I'm a big deal. You know, if Samuel goes somewhere, everyone finds out about it. They're going to find out Samuel picked a new, new king. Saul's not going to be happy. Boom, he's going to kill Samuel. So Samuel says, I can't, I can't do this. Well, the good news is God figures out a plan that Samuel likes. Talks to Samuel and says to Samuel, all right, here's what we're gonna do. You go to Bethlehem where Jesse lives and sacrifice. That's a normal thing that you would do. Go to Bethlehem, perform a sacrifice. Then after that, go to Jesse's house. And then you can go and pick the king and no one's really gonna know that you do that. So Samuel says, okay, I'll go ahead and do that and let's pick up the story. Samuel gets to Jesse's house. First Samuel 16, verse six says this. When they arrived, this is at Jesse's house, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, had him pass in front of Samuel. Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse led Shammah go by, but Samuel said, no, not this one either. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So Samuel asked Jesse, are these all of your sons? And Jesse said, there is still the youngest. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So you figure out what happened here. Jesse, uh, Samuel goes to Jesse's house and looks at all the sons, seven of the sons. The first guy that walked out, he was again, looked like he was a big, strong guy, looked like he would a big, big, be a good king. Samuel thought, maybe this one. God said, no. They say, there's one more. And this kid was so little, he was out watching the sheep. That was something maybe like a 10-year-old kid would do. So he's maybe like 10 years old. Of all his sons, Samuel didn't even think it was important for him to come. But they go, they bring him in. This is what happens. So Samuel sent for the son tending sheep and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome figures, or features. I told you he was good looking. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took out the horn and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. All right, so little David comes in from the field watching the sheep, and God said, this is the one. This is the one that we are gonna pick to be the next king. Now, 
why David? Like, wh why do you pick David? Well, we get a little bit of a clue here. We get a little bit of a clue in one of the verses. In verse seven, it says this. This is what God said to Samuel. Do not consider his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Why was David chosen? David was chosen because of his heart. I mean, he was a little kid at the time. It's interesting, David actually doesn't become king till he's 30 years old, almost 20 years later. But they chose David to be king because God saw in him a heart. Didn't have the appearance of a king, didn't have the size of a king, didn't have the education of a king, but he, there was something in his heart that God saw and said, let's anoint this one. Now, what was that? What was it in David's heart that enabled him to be this person that God picked? Well, we don't, we don't know at this point. All we know is that God picked David. And you know what happens right after God picks David? Samuel anoints David to be king in front of all his brothers. So all his brothers see this. His dad sees this. He's anointed to be king. You know what happens next? He goes back to watching sheep. They didn't really tell anyone because you tell anyone, you're gonna get yourself in trouble. And we know this because if you go along in this, the next thing that happens is David is called in from watching the sheep to play music because he's a good musician. And then he actually goes back to watching sheep because we're gonna look at one more story because this story helps us understand what it was about David's heart that enabled him to be chosen by God to be who we all know as David. So then let's look at one more story from his life. And this is a story many of us will know. It starts in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse one, says this. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Socha in Judah. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley in between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze graves. A bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. Okay, here's what's going on here. So what's happening in, in, in the country of Israel, the nation of Israel, is the, the neighboring group called the Philistines decide they want to fight him again. Okay, so they gather on one hill. We're going to say this is the Philistines over here. And the Israelites gather on another hill. We'll say these are the Israelites over here, okay? And there's a valley in between. And they're gathering, getting ready to fight. And the Philistines have this gigantic guy on their side. He is somewhere between seven and nine feet high. There's actually controversy on that. If you want to look it up, you can study that. He's somewhere between seven and nine feet high. It says that kind of this bronze armor he's wearing weighs at least 80 pounds. His spear, he's got a spear. The end of the spear weighs about 20 pounds. Imagine you had a 20-pound spear being thrown at you. This guy was huge, massive. I, I, I thought you might need something to help us understand what that looks like. So I had... I had one of, our, uh, one of our people here build a Goliath. <clears throat> here you go. All right, so we got, we got Goliath here. This, this gigantic dude, like, he comes out. And let's, let's, let's hear what happens when Goliath comes out. Let's just keep reading here. Uh, verse 8 says this. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servant of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your servants. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. For 40 days, the, Philistines came for, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. 
Okay, so here's what happens. Goliath actually, he has a pretty good idea. He actually says, all right, you know what? Uh, let's just, rather than both our armies fighting, I'll come out, you pick your best warrior, we'll fight. If I win, we win. If you win, you win. He comes out and makes that challenge twice a day for 40 days, and nobody, nobody from the Israelite side will come out and fight him. All right, let's see what happens next. Now David enters the story. All right, verse 17 says this. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this epap of roasted grain, these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to the camp. Take along 10 cheeses to the commander of the unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. There was Saul, all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. Okay? So now David kind of enters this story a little bit. And David is not here, but his brothers are. His brothers are here camped out fighting because he's not old enough to do that. He's maybe 15 years old at the time. He's actually still watching sheep. And his dad says, hey, can you take your brothers some food? All right, so I thought you might need some help in understanding what David would look like too. So Nate, why don't you come on up here? Give a hand for Nate. This is a... Uh, here, you can stand right here, Nate. Nate, now, how, how old are you, Nate? Uh, 14. Nate's 14 years old. You're about to be a sophomore in high school right here in Fairfield. If you, you kind of want to imagine what David might have looked like, it, it handsome like Nate right here. Now, but there's one last thing that, that Nate needs to look even more like David. And uh, here's we have a uh, little uh, charcuterie platter here of cheeses and bread. Because it says that, you know, David came with like bread and cheese to give to his brothers. And so now here's the deal. We all know the story of David and Goliath. I mean, even if you've never been in church, you know the story of David and Goliath. It's a phrase that's used all over. If a, if a you know, a sports team that's not very good beats a, a team that's supposed to win, you say David beat Goliath. If a small company beats a big company, you say David beats Goliath. So we all know what happens here. We know that the little guy beats the big guy. But my question is, what is going on in this teenage kid holding a cheese platter that he decides, I'm gonna go fight that giant. What is going on in his head? What is going on that enables a teenage kid with cheese to finish his appetizer and say, I'm gonna go fight Goliath? All right, Nate, you can, you can have a seat. You can have some cheese if you want. Thank you very much, Nate. <laughs> to understand why David fought Goliath, we have to look at what happens. We have to look at what David says just before he fights Goliath. All right, because basically what happened is David showed up to camp with his cheese and he heard Goliath come out and make this, this challenge. And David thought, for some reason, well, I'll go fight him. Saul the king finds out, talks with David and says, hey, okay, if you wanna go fight him, why don't you try wearing my armor? That just doesn't work out, doesn't fit him. David goes, I'll just go with who I am. No armor, just me in a slingshot. I'll go fight David or I'll go fight Goliath. And then he goes out and walks in front of Goliath and Goliath laughs at him, like literally laughs at him. He's like, what are you doing? Like, how, who are you sending this little kid to fight me? He laughs at him and this is what David says in response. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spirit and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defiled. 
This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's and we will give all all of you into, and he will give all of you into our hands. What is it that enables a kid holding cheese to walk up to a giant and say, today I'm gonna cut off your head and we're gonna feed your body to the birds? What, what it is, is it's David's heart. I mean, it's David's heart. That's the reason he can say that. There's something in his heart. That's what God saw. That's what Samuel pointed out. There is something in the heart of David that God saw and said, you know what? You have a confidence. You have a boldness. You have a strength that no one else, no other person in the army has that heart that David had. And the truth is, when I look at my life, I go, man, I could use a little bit of that heart. I could use a little bit of that heart of David because often I get up and I'm thinking, I, I'm not sure if I'm gonna make it through this day. I'm not sure if I'll be able to handle all the things that are coming at me. I'm not sure if I can handle home and work and friends and neighbors and all. It's, boy, wouldn't it be nice to have a little bit of that confidence, that boldness, that heart of God that David has. So my question is, well, how, how, does, how, does he, how does he have that heart? What is it about David that enabled him to have that heart? And in looking through these stories and looking at the life of David, I find there's a couple things. One of the first things that David had is David had a trust in God, not so much in his own appearance and ability. He had a trust in God bigger than his appearance. Just, just be honest. How much time do you spend focusing on what you can't do, the things that you don't have? In fact, let me ask you a question. How much time do you spend focusing on what you can't do versus what God can do? Right, how much time do you spend focusing? I, I just, I probably can't do this. Even, I, I don't have the abilities. Uh, I don't have the skill sets. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have that. I, I don't have the patience to handle this situation. I, I don't have the ability to meet with this person. I can't handle this relationship that's falling apart. I, I can't do that. And David does not focus. If he was focusing on his own abilities, I tell you what, if you focus on your own abilities, you're gonna be insecure and frustrated. Because none of us can handle it. Like, we just don't have that good of abilities. If David was focusing on, all right, can I do this? Am I strong enough? Am I big enough? Do I have the skill set? No. What David did is trust in who God was. Trust that God was with him, which, which leads us, actually, to the next point. The other thing that David does over and over again is David remembers who God is and what God promises, over and over again. If you go study David's life, David's life was not an easy life. Multiple times there were people literally trying to kill him, like literally trying to kill him. His life has tons of ups and downs. It is not easy, but over and over again, God is with him and David knows that. 
In fact, when you read through the Psalms, you will find there's times when he's frustrated, there's times where he's upset, but over and over again, what he does is remind himself who God is. Go read through the Psalms. There's dozens you could pick from. I put one up on the screen, that's Psalm 145. It says this, great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises, faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who falls and lifts up those who are bowed down. David remembers who God is, the God who created the entire universe, and he remembers what God promises, that God promises to love us no matter what. God promises to be with us no matter what. No matter the situation, God is right there with us. Not only is God with us, God desperately wants the best for us. That's who God is. God wants the best for your life. God wants things to go the best way for you. Every moment of every day, that God is right there with you, next to you, working on your behalf every moment of every day day. That's what David reminds himself over and over and over again. That's what gives him that boldness, that confidence that no one else has. That's what enables a teenage kid with cheese to defeat a giant because he trusts who God is. He knows that God is with him. That's what he says over and over again. That's what he says to people. That's what he says to Goliath. He doesn't say to Goliath, hey, Goliath, everybody's going to remember who David is. He says to Goliath, every good one is going to know today how great God is. Because the only way a teenage kid with cheese beats a giant is because God is with him. That's the God that we celebrate. I'm actually going to ask the band to come back up. But as they're doing that, I'm going to tell you one more story. And this is a story about David. This, this one happens a little bit later. He's actually king now, okay? David is now king, and, uh, and he's bringing what's known as the Ark of Covenant, which is uh, this huge religious symbol. He's bringing it to Jerusalem, and there's actually a parade of people who are like, excited about who God is, and they're worshiping God, and he's leading this parade. And, uh, and, and in this story, he's leading this parade, and he's jumping up and down, and he's singing, and he's worshiping God. Now, I am not a dancer or a jumper, well, I, I don't really do that when I sing, but I appreciate when other people do, all right? And, and he is going, and he's jumping around, he gets so excited, he takes off his royal robes, and it actually literally says that he was dancing and worshiping God in this parade, going into the city of Jerusalem, basically in his underwear. <laughs> he gets so excited about who God is, he's so passionate about who God is, that he's dancing in his underwear. His wife actually gets mad at him. His wife gets mad at him and tells him, hey, you shouldn't do this. this a king shouldn't do this. A king shouldn't be dancing in their underwear. And uh, he says, you know, people aren't going to respect you. And his response to her, his response to her, his, he actually says, you know what? When I'm worshiping, I'll even get more in undignified if I need to. He says, I'll get more undignified if I need to because I'm so excited about who God is. He goes, not only that, everyone's going to be, you, you think they're not going to like me. They're actually going to be excited about who I am. So what we need to do now as we close out this service is we need to sing and worship in a way that recognizes the greatness of who this God is. That this God is so much bigger, and this God who created you, he's with us every moment of every day. So I'm not gonna tell you to dance in your underwear. Please don't do that. 
But I'm gonna tell you, go ahead and stand up now. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing a song that celebrates the greatness, the grandeur, the majesty of who this God is. Let's pray. God, we, we do thank you so much. I mean, we, we can't even fathom how great you are. That's what David wrote in the Psalm. We can't even fathom how great you are. But we know you're with us every moment of every day. And so we pray that you'd help us just to take some time this morning to remember the greatness of who you are and to remember that you love us. You're with us and you're for us every moment of every day. Amen. We want to thank you for watching and listening to our sermons online. And we hope that uh, you will be inspired to live more like Jesus through these. Please check out blackrock.org for more information about our church. Know that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And also uh, know that you can give uh, to BlackRock and to our ministry through PushPay, through our mobile app, and on our website. Your uh, donations and your support of our ministry allows us to have uh, these videos online and for us to impact our community.